Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When somebody leaves or when, you know, when you lose something, there's just such a tendency to, to numb it or fill that hole. There's always this hole that's created, you know, from where you're used to doing this thing or you're used to seeing this person or you're smelling that perfume or you're used to hearing that, you know, sound of voice or, or, you know, if you're trying to quit drugs or alcohol, you're used to having a drink at this time every day, you know, and now you don't have it anymore. And it just feels like there's nothing. And so the tendency is to try to put something in there, just anything really like just to not feel it. And yet there's just this idea that if we can somehow sit with our own space our own pain enough to feel it actually get transformed. Like if we can come to know it's, and it's a sloppy process. It's not like some thing where you just like sit on a meditation pillow for, you know, 30 days straight and you did it. It's like, you know, it's a hard process, but it's just basically broad strokes saying, if we're willing to sit with those things that we feel, we can actually transform them um, and be a different kind of person in the world. But if we don't, the tendency is to say that didn't work because of her because she was unhealthy or she was greedy or she, you know, I don't know, only ever made tuna sandwiches and I don't like tuna. And that's a, that's a sign that, you know, we shouldn't be together or that's a ridiculous example. But um, just the idea that we, we find it easiest to point fingers at someone else uh, than to look at what our part is in things. And I, I, what I hoped to do with that that TEDx talk for my part was to make the connection between how we do that on a small heartbreak level, um, that we tend to not look at our own selves or take inventory of what we've seen or what we might've brought to the table, but we blame. And then how we do that on a macro level, that instead of taking time to sit with who we are, what our own sin patterns are, if you want to call it that, or what our own false self patterns are, what our own, just what we're afraid of, you know, just the ways that we've been wounded, like the tendency to then go out and uh, project that onto someone else or wound someone else uh, is really high. There's just high likelihood that we're going to do that to someone else. I know Richard Rohr has this phrase that, you know, if we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it to other people. So it was just trying to get at that concept, I think, from, from different points of view. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and I'm excited this week because, as you guys who have been listening for a while know, I'm a huge music fan. And so anytime I have the opportunity to talk to a musician and kind of pick their brains uh, about where their inspirations kind of come from and, and that sort of thing, it's always fun for me. So this week, I had a couple guys on, a couple fellas. Uh, the band is called Ryan Hood. And uh, they are uh, comprised of Cameron Hood and Ryan David Green. And uh, they're just amazing musicians. But on top of that, they just, they have a lot of different eclectic influences that, you know, you'll hear us talk about 
in the episode. And, and both of them have very different kind of uh, unique things that they bring to the table. They also have a really interesting TEDx talk uh, that I'll put the link for in the show notes uh, where they where they cover some of those topics. And uh, they're couple deep guys. So it was a lot of fun uh, to talk about music and, and talk about the things that inspire them and influence them. Uh, but yeah, they've been at it for a little while now and uh, quite a quite a few albums out there that you can check out. And they've toured with a lot of other really cool artists like Jason Mraz, American Authors, uh, bands like that. So a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So hopefully you guys enjoy uh, this episode and the music as well. So as usual, I will update the Spotify playlist for those of you who are following that. Um, and we'll add uh, a track um, probably featured on this episode. So check that out. Uh, if you like what we're doing here, uh, appreciate it. Uh, if you could uh, you know, help by spreading it by word of mouth, that's the, uh, the biggest way that we've gained, gained new listeners over the years is just by somebody telling a friend uh, who they think might uh, might benefit from it. So, you know, tell a friend, leave us a five-star review on iTunes is a huge uh, help as well. Uh, if you want to support us, we do have a Patreon uh, and you can find that on our website, www.thedeconstructionists.com. And we also have a web store there too. So if you want to pick up a cool pint glass or t-shirt or coffee mug, got all that there. We've got a blog that you can check out there and you can link to us on social media and say, hey, uh, and again, the uh, Patreon link is on there as well. So got a couple different package deals, including a, a monthly book club that is pretty popular. Um, so anyway, uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. And without further ado, I give you Ryan Hood. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm so excited uh, to have these two gentlemen on. We have been trying uh, so hard to, to get the, the two of you on. I've got the band Ryan Hood uh, uh, joining me today, rather, on the podcast. So thank you guys for, uh, for joining uh, the podcast today to talk about all sorts of fun things. It is a pleasure. Thank you, John. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Good to be here with you, man. Well, um, before we get too deep, because uh, you guys aren't just like your normal everyday band, you guys, you guys go definitely very, very deep. I, I, I watched your uh, your TEDx video and uh, <laughs> loved it. I was like, man, you don't just get a concert here; you kind of get a little therapy too. So I, I was, I was definitely digging that. But before we get into that, though, um, <laughs> you guys have been making music for for a while now. So when did you guys get started? And and because there's two of you, I should probably do a much better job this time around of of. Uh, uh, directing questions to one or the other. So <laughs> let's start, let's start with Cameron. Cameron, uh, tell us a little bit about how you guys, uh, got your music career started and then, uh, then we'll go over to, um, to Ryan. Sure thing. Uh, well, I'm Cameron Hood. Um, and this is, this is my longtime friend and collaborator, Ryan David Green. We knew each other in high school when we were in rival rock bands, uh, at our small little high school, you know, always sort of battling at the battle of the bands to be like the cool band at the school and uh, eventually just kind of the the tension softened between us and uh, <laughs> we kind of admitted to each other that we had a lot of admiration for each other and uh, so what once was just this rivalry it's like you end up being like my rival is like me you know he's a he's a guy so much like me we became friends and started hanging out he got me a job at a music store um, and we started playing guitar together a little bit um, 
but he got into Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and we're from Whoa. Tucson, Arizona, uh, which is where, where we're uh, calling in from right now. Uh, but he got into Berkeley, and I stayed at uh, the University of Arizona here in Tucson. And so we have this like budding band relationship and friendship. But uh, he moved away and went to Berkeley, and so we kind of started to do like a band through the mail, actually, for a while, kind of like mailing each other ideas, emailing, sending mini discs and stuff back and forth <laughs> before <laughs> the days other. of uh, Dropbox, right? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, and so we, we would send each other song ideas and, and we each had separate bands, separate rock bands that we were, were in. But when we came together, it was just this easy thing, you know, because with a rock band, it's a lot of moving parts, right? There's, there's a lot of gear. It's, it's heavy to carry everything, you know, drums and amps and everything. It's also heavy to manage because you've got all these other people. It's, you know, usually three to five people that are in a band like that. And so you're everyone's emotions and everyone's opinions and that kind of thing. But when Ryan and I came together, it just was like this other guy that I respected. It was one other opinion to have to, to, to compromise with and, and way less gear to cart around. (laughs) And I think that felt good to both of us. And so, uh, this just was kind of our side project for a long time while we were doing other things, other more, more rocky, you know, more loud things. And then kind of around the end of college, both of our bands sort of came to an end. And, uh, and Ryan was like, Cameron, why don't you move out to Boston? I think I know of a way that we can make a living uh, as, as just acoustic musicians. And uh, if, I don't know, Ryan, if you want to, you could pick up the story there, but that's kind of how we, we met and started. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, the story was, Hey, we can, we're done with college. We can make a living as street performers here in Boston. Uh, because I knew some musicians who were doing that and uh, I had been dabbling in it. He had come out and visited me in Boston a few times on school breaks. And we would, we actually tried uh, some subway performing then. And so that's what we did. He, he flew out there and uh, we had basically earned the right to street perform at Quincy market in Boston, which is a sort of, exclusive street performer community where they actually hold auditions in the spring uh, and and sort of there are people who who sort of chase the summer season around the world uh there's like you'll get jugglers from australia or uh you know acrobats and things like that that come for these auditions and so we were uh auditioning along with a lot of other uh variety of acts and we successfully got a permit to street perform there and it was a great, that was the start of everything for us. That's where we uh, started building audiences and learning how to, how to get an audience because you don't even get the privilege of starting with an audience when you're there. You're starting with, you know, a couple people sitting down eating a hot dog and shopping and you, you try to turn that into an audience. And so we, we would watch these other performers um, in other sort of disciplines, different from ours, but we'd watch them and, and learn from them in the ways in which they would corral an audience and sort of, I know there's a better word for it than manipulate an audience, but <laughs> would sort of would, would bring this, this audience to this peak uh, where they would do their, in their case, it would be the big tip moment. You know, they'd save their big chainsaw juggling moment for the end when they had enough people. And so we, we did that. We had our closing song that we would do that with. And then I would leap over to the CD table and sell CDs uh, from, from that table. I remember a really interesting thing. 
about human nature that we learn from watching a lot of those other performers, you know, do it kind of better than we did it in the beginning. And they would do this thing where they would get a couple of people over by any way that they could. They just sort of call a couple people over and be like, Hey, we're going to, we're about to have a show on the count of three. I need you to just cheer like I've done the most amazing trick or played the most amazing song you've ever heard in your life. I'm not going to do anything but count one, two, three, but I want you to cheer. And so people would, would go for it, you know? And so they go one, two, three, and everybody would be like, yeah, you know, just go absolutely nuts. And what it would do is that anyone else like kind of in the nearby premises downtown or in that, in that overall street performing area would hear that and that like, you know, my medic desire would kick in that like, I'm missing out on something. I've got to get over there where other people are having fun, you know, that would kick in. And then all of a sudden, about one minute later, you'd have all these other people start to trickle in and form this crowd before the person had done anything. And so we even started stealing that trick a little bit too. <laughs> you know? we yeah. get, get a good song like queued up. Yeah. And uh, build a crowd that way. You know, you have to actually be have something to do to, to keep a crowd, but that's a fun way to build a crowd to begin with. That's so funny. <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, you know that, yeah. So, so you start performing on the street, uh, you're in Boston and you guys have, have just kind of created this band between the two of you. I'm always interested though, when it comes to bands, like how did you guys decide on the, the type of music you wanted to play? Like, I'm always interested to see like, you know, Obviously, Foo, I was going to say Foo Fighters. That's a terrible example, though, because it was just Dave Grohl, I think, in the beginning. But, but like, how how do bands, de- you know, determine what their sound's going to be? Like, we want to sound like this. Like, did you guys sit down and have a conscious discussion about that, or is it just something that you guys kind of fell into? In, I mean, influentially, at the time, uh, there was well, sort of the overlap of our influences. When we were in high school together, we both loved all these. 90s rock bands you know collective soul was a favorite band of ours and uh bands like that so this riffy rock stuff but then there was you know it would go back beatles were a huge overlap so we had some some overlap influences um there was an album that this was around the time we probably formed shortly after dave matthews and tim reynolds had put out a duo album oh yeah um and that was huge to me because i was really I was an electric player before that, kind of exclusively a lead electric player in the school of, you know, guys like Joe Satriani and stuff. They were my heroes. And, and I heard this duo record where it was a singer songwriter, Dave Matthews with this guy, Tim Reynolds playing acoustic next to him. Um, and it was incredible. And they're playing like arenas and the arenas are going nuts for like the sound of this acoustic thing, you know, just a two acoustic thing. It kind of redefined it. And I've never really thought of this before, but, also, that was kind of the era when MTV Unplugged was was really becoming a big thing too, right? You had the huge Nirvana Unplugged album. You had the, it just became clear that like there was kind of a magical essence to stripping music down to that. Um, so it was appealing, and I think the the that idea, as Cameron mentioned, of kind of going lighter, uh, not stylistically, but lighter, you know, gear wise, and bringing acoustics out. Uh, we definitely go pretty high powered as an acoustic duo. We, we, one of the things we decided from the beginning was that we weren't going to play sitting down. We didn't want to be like, if we do the acoustic thing, we don't want to be sitting on a stool. Uh, we want to be standing up. We want to be creating a really fiery performance that, uh, that, that kind of bucks that perception of a, of a folk artist or a singer songwriter. 
And also, um, the other thing I remember deciding early on was, you know, we both listened to everything and I had, you know, really like happy music. And I also had, you know, a nine inch nails record or, and, (laughs) and there was a decision between us like, Hey, let's, you know, we get to choose what we put out there. Let's always, um, let's leave people feeling better when they leave our shows, uh, than when they got there and let's, uh, really bring some hope. So there are, it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes write music that we certainly go to heavy places. Um, but yeah, when we sort of agree to present something that, that I would say that's not necessarily stylistic, but that's more philosophical, I guess. That was like an early mission statement for us. I mean, the thing I thought you were going to say when you were like, we decided that we weren't going to sit down. And the other thing we decided was we weren't going to wear cargo shorts. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, was, that was definitely a thing of the time. Yeah. Like we, we, we just made this decision that we were always going to try to dress nicely, that we wanted to show our audiences that we took this really seriously, that we were going to make a show. And if they were willing to come into this world with us, like it would be a really, it could be a, transformative experience. I don't think we would have used those words for it yet, but we just wanted to show the audience that we took it seriously. But the, the real thing, the, the theme I think that Ryan just mentioned is really true that we decided that we wanted to always at least leave it on hope, to be able to find hope in any situation. Um, and I think that's, it's been a mission statement for us the whole time. It's this idea that um, if you're not willing to to go into the hard thing, into the hard places. You, you suffer from that kind of Pollyanna, almost pop music um, problem where it doesn't take anything seriously. It's, it's in some other world that's not connected to, to so many people battle with. But if you spend all your time there and only there and don't find any way to, like, to lead people out of that or to, to find some, some pathway out of that, then you've only deconstructed, right? You haven't like built anything, anything back. And so that was, I don't remember whose idea that was, Ryan, yours or mine in the beginning, but we've just to it since then. Like, let's, let's be willing to you know, do this kind of path of descent thing in the shows, in the songs, in the stories that we tell, but we're not going to stay there. We have to always go down and then find there's, there's some kind of hope or happiness on the other side, you know, that we've got to get to. Yeah, it's it's uh I mean you guys definitely don't shy away from from the heavier themes, you know, within your music even though you know like the uh the the music itself is is beautiful. Um and, and what's remarkable to me too, I, I think and and uh, I want to compliment you guys. Number one, I did notice how how nicely dressed you guys were. Uh, that did stick out to me. Uh but number two, um, <laughs> I was like those are some n- fine finely dressed fellas there, you know. But uh no, but the the music you guys, even though it's just the two of you, <laughs> Thank you. you guys create like this, you guys create a really rich, big sound. Uh, and, and oftentimes I would forget as I was listening to the music that it's just the two of you playing, uh, which is remarkable. Thank you. I appreciate that. That that was present even in the really early days. I remember people kind of giving us a similar compliment at our our earliest shows. And all I was doing was playing acoustic guitar and singing. I think Ryan brought all the extra sound even back then. Like he's playing acoustic guitar, but he had like delay pedals and, <laughs> and uh, I don't even remember what else, but like you would, 
you'd sing harmony and then you would add a delay pedal and sort of then start to layer things on top of that. And then I would hit my guitar and then eventually we started adding in these little kick drum pedals called porch boards that we play with. So we're actually kind of playing uh, a kick drum like sound with our feet. And then we added in foot tambourine that we'll play with live. So we're playing multiple percussion instruments with our feet uh, and then singing harmony. And we both sing lead and both play lead, uh, play leads at times and, stuff but i think back then ryan ryan was the first one to sort of add all that texture in and he's always led the way well and you, as you mentioned that. we had to make a make a, a ruckus to to round up that crowd so we we got used to being a big as big a sound as we could pretty early on <laughs> that's great um so one of the things I noticed in uh, kind of the, the little bio thing that I don't know if it's your, your manager or your publicist or who had sent over, um, she's very kind to send some information over uh, on you guys. But one of the things that, uh, one of the notes I saw rather was that you guys do not consider yourselves a Christian band. Uh, and it kind of, it was kind of a wink, wink kind of thing. Like you should ask them cause they'll talk about it. <laughs> so like, We've we've had other musicians on before who have kind of gotten pigeonholed into that like Christian band type of thing, and we've always thought that was kind of funny, like as if there's like a Christian riff or like uh, Christian drum beat or whatever. So, <laughs> so like clearly you guys have some thoughts on this. So like Cameron, what I, I know you're I know you're laughing at me, but <laughs> what? Yeah, I, well I've I've listened to some of those episodes. You had the singer of Hawk Nelson on, and you've had yeah. uh, Dan Hazeltine from Jars of Clay, and yep. I know that they both talked about the limitation of the market that you, if you say that you're a, a Christian artist, you've severely limited uh, the market right away. Yes. You know? um, now those people might be more apt to trust the people within that mar- market might be more apt to trust you and buy whatever you make just because they, they feel like they can trust you. But so the, the biggest part that I've heard um, folks talk about is limiting the market. But I think for Ryan and I, it was just always this sense of like, we don't want to limit who we play to. Like, it's not so much that like, it's a lesser, I'm not trying to those are focused on money or anything like that, but there's this great desire to be able to play and sing to everybody, you know, and make music for, for, for everybody. Because I know with, with myself, it's not always, and maybe not even mostly Christian music or worship music that has reached me, you know? And so I just think about like, who has reached me? Well, Pink Floyd reached me and the Beatles and U2 reached me. And, um, and those, none of those were found in the Christian section, but they did something to me, you know? And, uh, I don't know, Ryan, you want to, you want to jump in? No, I think that's, I, I, agree with that i think it's just sort of uh, it's a big it's a big sort of beautiful world of art out there you know and i wanted to be a part of that big beautiful world of art um and so that's 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 how i feel you know and similarly so much there's there's beautiful music in all the all the different compartments but i didn't really want to go into a <laughs> i think speaking personally um I know Ryan and I both have have spent time leading worship at you know at local churches, and we've we've done that. And I can tell you that the highest highs I've ever had musically on stage were actually leading worship, where it felt like it was truly about something way bigger than just us, or even the songs, or even the concepts, or even the music that we made. It just felt like I was able to just touch something 
just above me that felt so amazing to me. Those are the highest highs, you know, that I've ever experienced, but that's not where I spend most of my life, I would say. And I know that not everybody in the world is ready to, or wants to sing to worship music. I mean, there's, there's some people who are, uh, who don't, you know, believe in a higher power, a God of any kind. And the only thing they need is help not committing suicide right now. Right. You know, they just need to find some kind of beauty or someone to sing. I dare you to move. I dare you to pick yourself up off the floor. Like that's the thing that that person needs, you know, and if that's only ever found in the Christian section or in the, or on Christian radio, right. You're, you have to be casting a much wider net than that, you know, and then there's, um, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to say there's all people at every stage of of spiritual. I don't know if progress is the right word or just there's all different ways to speak to people. So we need bands making music for all different kinds of people. That's the main thing I'm trying to say. You know. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It, it's kind of funny because I, I think of bands like like you two, one of the biggest bands of all time. And no matter where you stand on like whether or not you like their music or whatever, they very clearly sing about very heavy kind of theological topics. But they're not restricted to singing about only that. You know, they they have a a much wider palette to choose from. Right. You know, and and I've always felt like that kind of seems like the right way to go. Yes. You know, like because then you have the freedom to talk about anything you want to talk about. Like you just said, you know, there are people out there who maybe just need to hear uh, a message of hope just to hang on for one more day. And you have the freedom to do that, to, to speak to that, to be as gritty and as dark and as light and as yep. happy as you want to be. Well, speaking of which, this is, this is a great segue. Good job, guys. <laughs> um, one of the songs that you guys play on your, <laughs> on your TEDx talk. Yeah. See this, just this magic, magic in the air. Um, so you guys talk about, and this one hit me pretty hard because I, I've learned and I told uh, your publicist this, I, you know, I said the, the podcast kind of runs itself. We've kind of realized that over doing it for five years that um, things, doors just kind of opened at, as they're supposed to and in the right moment and topics kind of present themselves just kind of at the right moment. And we stopped questioning that years ago and just kind of roll with it. So, so anyway, I'm sitting down and I'm watching your TEDx talk. And one of the first things you start talking about is this idea of um, a breakup and, and this, this habit that human beings have, myself certainly included. I had just gone through um, a really horrible breakup <laughs> when, when I'm watching this video and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> like, you know, um, it talks about like this, this habit that we have as human beings that we don't want to push in and feel that pain especially when it comes to a breakup, like a, like a broken heart is one of the more painful things a human being can, can possibly go through. And our instinct is to move away from that pain, not push into it, but move away from it. And so often, as you put, uh, much better than I'm putting it now, uh, you, you try to fill that, fill that void with something else, whether it's um, fun or you know, drugs or another person or whatever. And oftentimes we're not in a healthy place at that point. You know, we're, we're just trying to fill this void as opposed to learn what, you know, learn the lessons we need to take away and it, to, to put in the time to heal and that sort of thing. So, so talk about that and then talk about the song that you wrote uh, around that idea. Sure. Sure. That's uh, that was an experience that ended up culminating in a song uh, that we wrote together called I Didn't Put Anything Into Your Place. 
And the idea there, you, you, you really captured the heart of it that when, when somebody leaves or when, you know, when you lose something, there's just such a tendency to, to numb it or fill that hole. There's always this hole that's created, you know, from where you're used to doing this thing, or you're used to seeing this person, or you're smelling that perfume, or you're used to hearing that, you know, sound of voice or, or, you know, if you're trying to quit drugs or alcohol, you're used to having a drink at this time every day, you know, and now you don't have it anymore. And it just feels like there's nothing. And so the tendency is to try to put something in there, just anything really like just to not feel it. And yet there's just this idea that if we can somehow sit with our own space, our own pain enough to feel it actually get transformed. Like if we can come to know it's, and it's a sloppy process. It's not like some thing where you just like sit on a meditation pillow for, you know, 30 days straight and you did it. It's like, you know, it's a hard process, but it's just basically broad strokes saying if we're willing to sit with those things that we feel, we can actually transform them um, and be a different kind of person in the world. But if we don't, the tendency is to say that didn't work because of her, because she was unhealthy or she was greedy or she, you know, I don't know, only ever made tuna sandwiches and I don't like tuna. And that's a, that's a sign that, you know, we shouldn't be together or that's a ridiculous example, but um, just the idea that we, we find it easiest to point fingers at someone else uh, than to look at what our part is in things. And I, I, what I hoped to do with that, that TEDx talk for my part was to make the connection between how we do that on a small heartbreak level um, that we tend to not look at our own selves or take inventory of what we've seen or what we might have brought to the table, but we blame. And then how we do that on a macro level, that instead of taking time to sit with who we are, what our own sin patterns are, if you want to call it that, or what our own false self patterns are, what our own, just what we're afraid of, you know, just the ways that we've been wounded, like the tendency to then go out and uh, project that onto someone else or wound someone else. Uh, is really high. There's just a high likelihood that we're going to do that to someone else. I know Richard Rohr has this phrase that, you know, if we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it to other people. So it was just trying to get at that concept, I think, from, from different points of view. Heart is a house, you're the room that is empty. This is on me, I put you out on the street. By Valentine's Day, I was a miserable case. But I didn't put anything in. Your place. I didn't put anything into your place. Yeah. Oh, and, and and you just basically described every dating app ever at this point. Just 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 damage just perpetuating itself in <laughs> perpetuity. Like it's just and at least in my experience. But uh, yeah. I'm sure for someone out there it works somewhere. But yeah, it's yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's so true though. I was, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. If you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, you're, I'm sure you're, you're uh, fully aware because I talk about it constantly, but like, I really do think that, that all of us carry on something, you know, to, to various degrees and extremes and all of us could probably stand to talk to somebody, you know, this third party in, impartial, uh, person, you know, and, and kind of, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. It could, for me, you know, it was, it was, it was learning that, you know, I, I really have a bad habit of seeing people out there at their 
utmost potential versus who they actually are. And so like my Angelou has this quote, uh, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them, you know? And I'm like, Oh Maya, So, so wise. Um, Mm -hmm. but like for my part though, you know, like you said, I think the big part of it was learning that I just need to sit with it for a while, you know? And, and one of the things that my therapist said is too often, uh, people, you know, when they come together, um, and this is a very visual podcast here, but like she, she made this sign with her hands together, you know, almost like a prayer, you know, like you're folding your hands to pray. Yeah. But when one person is unhealthy, they shift the balance and they start leaning, pushing over into the other person's side instead of kind of being an equal support to one another. And, and I think, you know, too often when we push, we push into another relationship before we're ready or try to fill that, that void with something before it's time, before we're ready, before we've really worked on ourselves to become a whole person again, you know, we're just, we're just pushing that, that crap, that baggage onto someone else, you know, and it's, and it's, you're starting off in an unhealthy negative at that point. Absolutely. I think, one of the things that that we've tried to press into on this record lyrically is is doing doing so. I think the overall theme of our our newest record is like kind of finding space to catch our breath and see what's what's here, see what we're bringing to the table, see what we're bringing to the culture and to politics and all that. Um, but uh, but some of the songs are just love songs or heartbreak songs, but they're 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 songs about trying to examine what what did I bring to this? You know what what how could I have shown up differently? You know, so instead of just being like love gone wrong, you know, which is a a whole genre of, of pop song, it's like love gone wrong. And what did I bring to that? You know, we've got the song. I didn't put anything into your place or no, it's called a, sorry. uh, That was the other one that was called (laughs) I didn't have the chance. And it's just a song about like, I didn't have the chance to tell you, I didn't have the chance to make this right or to, to, to make this relationship what it needed to be. And then at the very end of the song, he goes, I didn't have the chance because I didn't take the chance. And it's just a tiny little lyrical change. But in that you have ownership, you have responsibility of saying, this was not done to me. You know, like I'm involved. (laughs) I have a part to play, a part to own too. Gosh, yes, that's, that's so true. You know, hindsight being 2020, it's like, you know, if you do take the time to sit with it and figure out, okay, what part did I play in this? Because when you're talking about human beings in general, we're talking about very complex, messy creatures. And then you factor in a relationship. There's always two sides to it, you know, no matter, might be heavily weighted in one, one way or one direction or the other, but certainly there's, there's things, you know, that, that both people, both parties contributed that's just an easy springboard into politics for me. Mm. Um, but it's not one that, that we have to do. And, and we don't have that many political songs on our record. There's only one, maybe two, but just the idea of sitting with ourselves and who we're bringing into the culture, you know, making sure that we're the kind of citizen that we want the other side to be, because it's just a lot easier to point a finger over at the other side and be like, here's how they're getting it wrong. Yeah. Um, but if we, don't transform our pain. We will transmit it. You know, we're going to project it somewhere. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think you're right. I think there's this element to, as soon as you point the finger, you know, you start to dehumanize the other side as well. And so it makes it very, very easy to disconnect from them as opposed to come together and, and have fruitful dialogue. Cause at that point, you know, having fruitful, meaningful dialogue is nearly impossible once that happens. Right. Absolutely. Um, 
there was that whole thing um, from, I don't know if I could say it, Zizek, I think is how yeah. you say his name, yep. but he <laughs> talked about ideology and, and uh, he talked about the movie Jaws and like, you know, when Jaws came out, uh, the United States was like, this is clearly a movie about communism. Like, <laughs> like the shark represents the specter of communism, you know, but in Cuba, they saw the movie also and were like, this is clearly a movie about capitalism. You know, the, the, the shark represents capitalism. But the point being that we, we like to take our fears and compile everything around one big bad thing, in this case, a shark, you know, or one big bad politician or one big bad group or something. And typically when we're able to do that, like we can dehumanize them or anyone that follows them. There's this thing that we're able to do and sort of go, I'm allowed to hate them because they're not really like me. They're not really human, you know. Yeah, gosh. Yeah, that's getting into the political weeds. No, no, that that's uh, it. It makes me think of. Uh, and I, I'm not personally. Oh, go ahead, Cameron. <laughs> oh, sorry. I think we have like a little bit of lag with we the do. audio, but uh, yeah. I, I just was going to say I'm not super interested in the in the in the politics per se. I'm just really interested in like being healthy people. Can you just imagine if like if if all of us took some time to do therapy like you're talking about and just know the things that we're afraid of and know the wounds that we have rather than going and telling, you know, another side what they, you know, what they need to do. Not everyone is equal. There are real harms that have been done by certain groups more than other groups into certain races. I'm not trying to make everything equal, but I'm just saying that when we have listened well to our own pain, our own wounds, our own stories, we become better listeners to the pain and wounds and stories of others, you know? Um, all those conversations become easier when we've made some space to sit with what we're feeling also. Um, so I was just saying, can you imagine what that, what, what our political discourse would be like if we all had some awareness of our own wound and our own shame and our own fear that we were bringing to the table? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't kidding. And, and, like, yeah, it, it just seems like, and I... I I often blame social media for this, but I know it's much more complex than that. I just like to bash on social media because it just, it just seems so unhealthy. And so often like you just see a lot of uh, anger and a lot of shouting, you know, um, on social media, a lot of the different platforms. But I I think once, you know, once we've kind of boiled things down, these very complex issues down to uh, taglines and, and just these, um, these terms, you know, whether it's conservative or progressive or liberal or whatever, now they've taken on kind of this negative connotation. It becomes very easy to, to just shut your ears off and then just shout those words, those terms at one another without truly listening. And, and you kind of, it's, it's frustrating sometimes, you know, to sit here and watch this kind of discourse take place and wonder if we can ever truly get back to a place where we can sit at a table together and break bread and, and have a meaning, meaningful conversation. And so like from a music perspective, like that's something that I think 
can bond people together, you know, m- much in the same way as, as a meal uh, can. So how do you view your music from that sense? Like trying to, trying to pull, bring people together. Cause obviously you write about very hot, heavy topics and, and, and very heavy themes. Uh, but how do you see your music from in, in that sense? I think you said something like that music can be like a meal and, and it's like everybody has to eat. Everybody has to sit at a table and, and have, have a meal. And I think it's kind of similar to, um, you know, when, when Ryan and I were still rivals in, in, in high school, you know, there was no, it's a funny way to put it. It's just, I was jealous of him, you know, in, in high school is what down to really, really good guitar player with this really awesome band. And, uh, you know, and I, I wanted to be awesome also uh, at the same high school and everything. We had a CD and, and, when you had a cassette. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a big deal in yeah. your high, you know, high school. And we're like, look, we made a cassette. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. Here's our CD. And you're like, no. Like they, they got that. That's awesome. But, but I remember he came over to uh, he came over to a party at at my house one time, and he um, he picked up the guitar that I had kind of lying around at this, like a high school party, you know, and he picked up the guitar and I had this friend who was kind of like playing the role of a henchman who like came up to me and was like, yo, Ryan green is at your house. Ryan green is in your room. Ryan green has picked up your guitar and he's tuning it. He's tuning your guitar differently. <laughs> do you want me to? Do you want me to stop him? You know, and, like and all totally the ladies are in there paying attention. And I was like, no, let's go. See, you know, let's go <laughs> <Right>. see. <laughs> exactly. That's probably why I was jealous. You right. know? But I go in there and uh, and and I I listen to this song that that I, he was just kind of noodling around on this on this this song that he was working on, and I was like, you know, play this song, Ryan. Like, I'd love to hear this. And he was like, oh, no, I couldn't. I'm like, come on, play it. He's like, okay, all right, I'll play it. And so he, he just plays like one of the most beautiful pieces of music that I had ever heard at 17 years old. Just this like almost Irishy, like open tuning guitar thing uh, called Can I Do? And just this love song uh, about falling in love with this girl. And, and like, you know, the key line is, can I kiss you? And, and, and so I do. It's like she answers, you know, with a nod. And so he does. And I just remember thinking, this guy is like me. This is like, and I, I only know that through music, I, you know, like he, he sang me his heart and he's vulnerable enough to like sing me the song he was working on. I was like, this is exactly what I think about. This is exactly what I write about. I didn't know that the maestro, Ryan David Green, the maestro, like, <laughs> you know, wrote about that and, and thought about that. And that just instantly bonded me to him. You know, he, my enemy is like me, you know, just to, and to kind of connect all these thoughts where, that I, agree with John it's like and how sacred I think music is as a unifier as a you know it gets called the universal language that's that's an amazing look at it right there we can all sort of be moved by music whether we even understand the lyrics or not that's incredible and it can change us even but um I think about that we just had the privilege of playing a few shows a few outdoor shows to celebrate the release of our new album and um Man, uh, first of all, we've all been apart through through the pandemic, uh, and there's just a lot of you know separations, a lot of political stuff going on. And so to feel, Cameron made a comment during that show, like around you right now are people who feel totally differently than you do, who think totally differently than you do, and basically just put out kind of a, a plea, like to have grace for one another, that we're all trying to 
figure this out. We're all, uh, we all have reasons, valid reasons that we have uh, for fears. And, uh, and, and it's just to, I, what I love is just that music can be a place where we all come together. Um, I also kind of don't like social media when, when I think of bands that I, I think of any band or any artist and how most artists used to be able to almost, that was probably their main function was like unifying people. Hey, do you, who loves this? Me, me, you know, 40,000 of us loved it. Love Bono. We're all there. Like, let's go together. We went, we saw U2 in Boston and, and at the end of, they closed with 40 and the show ends and 10,000 people streamed out of Boston Garden singing, how long sing this? As they streamed out into the bars of all the areas, this echo on the street, we walked to that. It was this incredible unifying thing. And when I, the point with social media, the unfortunate thing is it gives, I see people's comments lists and, and you realize these fights break out, you know, on social media. It's, it's these fights that don't break out when we're in person. You know, when we were at a U2 concert, we're at a concert, we're, we're at our own concert we see each other as brother and sister. We're there together. And so it is, um, man, it has art in general, but music really has an incredible power. And, uh, I, I sure hope that we can get out to where we're seeing shows together. And that's kind of that metaphorical breaking bread together. I think, um, in a way is, is that we all look at each other and nod that, Hey, I'm happy to be here too. You know, I like this too. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I miss I miss live shows uh, so much for that for that reason. I I, I remember many times going to to see a, a band that I love, and you have that moment, that transcendent moment in the midst of the show, right, where you kind of lose sense of time and space, and you're just there, present in the moment, just kind of uh, floating through the universe and and just enjoying this music. And in those moments you know, you're listening to a song that might be about heartbreak or it might be about pain and loss. And those are, as you said, Ryan, you know, like those are universal themes that everyone, regardless of your political views or your religious views, we all relate to that at the end of the day. Like we, we, we've all experienced those things. And like, you know, like, like you said, when the two of you met, you're, you're both sharing this beautiful moment listening to the song and you didn't know anything about one another's political views, your religious views, or, you know, even your favorite food, but you were bonding over this mutual love of music. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's so, so strong. Absolutely. So, so tell me guys, there's that was beautiful, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, you see, like you guys are poets, man. Like, so let's talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about there's uh, there's a song I was listening to earlier today off your new record, um, and the new record is "Under the Leaves," right? Am I getting that title correct? Yep. Yep. So there's a song you're, you're gonna have to tell me. I think it's I think it's the song "Under the Leaves," but you have this lyric that I I literally rewound this thing or rewound it. However you do that on Spotify, I have no idea. It's not probably rewinding; it's moving the slider thing to the left. I don't know. Um, but you have this lyric that I listened to. Pro- I'm not even kidding. Probably you seeked it. Yes, yes. But like, I, I think I listened to this lyric like 15 times just because I loved it so much. Where you say, "In the grayness of the raining, in the uh, I'm sorry, in the." Falling of the leaves in the sadness, we are planting trees that we will not live to see. I probably butchered that a little, but you guys get the idea. Uh, I don't know who wrote that, but that was it. 
Yeah. That, that was it. Ah, uh, that's good. Yeah, just this idea that we are leaving a mark Thank that you. we're not going to be around to see, you know, and, and I, I look at life that way in so many ways, you know, when it comes to my daughter, when it comes to just anything I put out into the world, just this idea that, you know, this is temporary, but this impact is going to carry on. This ripple effect is going to continue and cascade long after I'm gone. So tell me about what was the inspiration behind that song and and what made you write that lyric? I think directly that was a a response to this Wendell Berry poem called Manifesto, uh, where he says things like invest in the millennium. Like your, your job is to help build rich soil that's going to last, that's going to really be rich 2000 years after you're gone from the planet. But like that, it's that in contrast to what we're doing on social media, we're all, many of us, I think if we're honest, we all want to be some kind of influencer, you know, on social media, like leading people and helping them. Like I, uh, maybe I won't speak for anyone else. I have that. My ego wants that. I just want to be <laughs> some cool guy that's smart that, you know, that that's like a wise guide for everyone else. And it's the idea though, that that to invest too much of myself in that it's uh, my worth then just goes up and down based on likes and how many people have seen and the whether the people that I want to see the thing that I posted have seen it and whether I'm agreed with or not, you know, and whether I always say the right thing or I don't that it's like, it's such a fast paced um, fight in a way. And it's just kind of saying, what if I don't, play that game? What if, what if I try to slow down and quiet my own mind a little bit and, and play a much longer, much different game? You know, I think that the trouble with like being in a band like ours, where we've been a band for 20 years now is, is to know, are we having, are we, you know, having an impact? Are we, what are, it's hard to know. Um, if you're one, you're up one day on social media, you're down the next day on social media. And so if you're judging by that, you just can never really know, but it's saying we're, we're investing in the millennium, you know, we're like, like meaning we're investing in that, that soil we're investing in, in just planting our seeds. That's, that's all we can do is, you know, I think about things a certain way and Ryan thinks about things a certain way. We write music a certain way. We're going to plant that. That's what we have. I love that. I, I've never thought of, I'm going to start saying that on stage, you know, when we're playing to, to, you know, 48 people in, in Charlotte or ever 19 people on a Tuesday night, just say like, folks might seem surprised to see only 19 people, but this is all part of the plan. This is, this is a long game here. In the year 3000, we are going to be a big deal. As I'm staring man um so you, you just mentioned you guys have been around for 20 years which is crazy because neither one of you look old enough to have been playing music that long but um but for for 20 years that's a that's a long time and surely obviously your inspirations have changed over time and and the things that inspire you and feed you uh you know I've, we we talked a little bit about zizek and and roar and and, and folks like that but um what what things inspire you now? Let me start with Ryan, I guess. Uh, and tell me a little bit about like what when you're writing music, when you're sitting down with your guitar, what are the things nowadays that really kind of make you want to sit down and write? 
Well, uh, lately our our roles, especially on this last album, um, I did much of the musical side of it and, and handled the production of the album as well. And Cameron uh, did most of the lyrical side of it. So we've we've always had a leaning that way, um, lyrics and message and metaphor and, and it has always been really a, a big love of Cameron's. And I've always been a kind of music first kind of person. I, I the song has to has to sweep me away, uh, kind of on its own melodies before I even dig into the uh, the lyrical content. So we're a good team in that sense. And, and this album, we we leaned more heavily in those directions. We I don't know how to say lean, but we sort of gave each other uh, more more power in those areas. So. Uh, and that's still kind of where I'm now. I'm, I'm writing a lot, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, I've listened to a lot of instrumental music. Um, uh, but it could be, you know, it, let's see currently, I mean, it, it ranges all over the place. I'd have to, that's the downside of not having physical CDs right now, you know, and just having this sort of spot of, I think I have to look and see what have I listened to in the last week? Cause I don't have anything on my desk in front of me, but I, there's you know some sort of virtuosic leaning instrumentalists that are that I'm huge fans of people like Chris Thiele and uh, Bela Fleck I've been a fan on for fan of for a very long time. Um, so a lot of these acoustic players and Julian Lodge is a guitarist that I love. Um, so uh, listening to things like that and just playing uh, playing a lot of guitar and mandolin and. Uh, but it's hard to tangibly. I, I've I've gone so long winded. I lost sight of what your actual initial <laughs> question was. Can you repeat your initial question so <laughs> yeah. I can tie it up with a bow? <laughs> sure. Oh, it was just uh, what are your inspirations today uh, when you sit down and write uh, versus maybe because you, you named some great bands by the way. Uh, those are bands that I grew up with uh, that you mentioned earlier, like Collective Soul and bands like that. So, who are the bands of today uh, that you're listening to right now that are inspiring you? Well, I'll give. Let's let's go. I'll get you really can do accurate a here. Spotify and I'm going to open it up right now and tell you. Uh, you know, you mentioned Foo Fighters earlier. I actually really like the Foo Fighters. Just put out a new album called uh, Minutes to Midnight or something. That's actually really yeah. good. And to go back to another '90s band, uh, Weezer just put out a really cool album called OK Human. That's yep. like really special and and neat. I, I mean. And now they're about to put out their Van Weezer album, which is going to go back to the the other side of things. And it's in a way, it loses its. It's like kind of concealing itself again with with the hard rock side of stuff. But it, I don't want to say hard rock with like riffs and. It, I just felt like the heart really kind of came through, and the genuineness came through on the OK Human album in a way that was really cool, um, and I liked a lot. Uh, and other other let's see other favorite albums lately. You know, there's a guy named Ben Cosgrove who's a piano player we played with recently, and he just put out an instrumental piano record uh, called "The Trouble with Wilderness." And it's, I mean, this guy. What's so cool about him is that like, I always I write instrumental music, but I always feel a little bit embarrassed saying this song is about such and such because it's instrumental, and I feel like it's you know I'm, people can think it's about whatever. He is. I mean, that's that's not the case with him. It's like he's it's he's a he's a real sort of nature. He travels and is a big fan of of nature and and he 
has these songs specifically about, you know, this song is about this gorge in this city and the path of this bird across it. And I mean, it's, it's very amazing. And then he plays the song and it's completely genuine. Uh, you know, his songs called things like the rush of beauty, and the sense of order. And uh, anyway, uh, that's a really cool recent album of instrumental stuff. Uh, I've been listening to some bluegrass stuff. There's a guitarist named Grant Gordy who just put out a bluegrass album uh, with it with a, some other musicians. It's it's uh, called Bluegrass and the Abstract Truth. That's really cool. I like McCartney's new album, uh, McCartney Three. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, I'm a big fan of this guy Mark Orton, who used to play in Tin Hat Trio, and he uh, that's an instrumental group that's amazing. And he just put out another film score that I that I really like a lot. Um, and I've also been lately on a kick, getting back into kind of everything Ben Folds. I just really like. Ben Folds 5, I really like, I've been listening to some of their live stuff and stuff he's done. It's just so creative. Um, he's leaning way into creativity in the sense that he just has, I think, a new podcast that's all yeah. about, he just interviews other creative people, not just musicians, and they talk creativity. And um, So he's, a, he's an inspiration to me, for sure. I think for me... Um... I'm a big fan of Audrey Assad. Do you know her? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's, I just really appreciate the the depth and simplicity as well as just the, like her level of excellence of performance, both her singing voice and her piano playing are, are so, so helpful to me. That's a weird thing to, weird like adjective to use, but her music is so helpful. I read for it. Really, really often, um, as far as other, I don't know if you want to say sacred music or, or music written for the church, I guess. Um, I really like the Porter's Gate, and I really like Common Hymnal um, quite a bit. Um, beyond that, man, I love you too. I love Coldplay. <laughs> like, I realize it's not a cool answer, but like Coldplay's newest record, Everyday Life, is really incredible. It's and there's terrific. so much variety on yes. it. Yes. And, um, it's so good. There's so much like spirit, like creeping out all the edges of, of all those songs. Meanwhile, they're, you know, they're, they're just going in all these different musical directions and it feels very like, um, very worldly, very global in a way that I, that I really loved. Um, and then one of my favorite artists is this singer songwriter from the Northeast, uh, States named Stephen Kellogg, who's just this like earnest as could be family man, uh, just really great, um, really great songwriter. I just believe him. He's one of those guys that when, when he sings, I just believe him. And, and I, I respect something about him, which I find hard to do myself. Like I'm always trying to run away from my, um, from my own gentleness or my own squishiness. I'm always, I'd always like to be a little bit cooler. I'd like to have like one or two more masks on than I do. I'd like to be a little bit more inscrutable than I am. I mean, those are like my values are being, you know, vulnerable and being known and being honest and all that. But when it comes down to it, I wish I had like more, more protection. I wish I had like a cooler persona sort of. And yet what I love and respect about Stephen Kellogg is there's none of that. It's the most genuine, like, this is my heart kind of guy. Like, this is my heart and I own it and I love it. So I don't need you to like, tell me that you like it or that it's okay. This is just who I am. And this is, I'm now I'm singing some songs about my wife and my four daughters, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the kind of, 
that's the kind of dude that he is. And there's something about that genuineness, that earnestness that I, I like, even though I kind of run away from it for some strange reason in my life. It's yeah, that's, that's a very vulnerable place. Cause you're, you're writing a song that could be out there, you know, forever uh, about something that, that could be very, you know, personal to you. And so there's, yeah, there's, that's a special type of songwriting. And, and uh, Ryan, I totally agree on Ben Folds. I've been listening to uh, picking up on him again lately and just what a great narrative storyteller when it comes to songwriting. He just has this crazy gift. Like my favorite songs that he, that he writes are ones that are where he's telling a, usually a sad story, but like there's, there's always some sort of uh, kind of narrative arc happening. Um, so, but yeah, I'm going to have to check out the Stephen Kellogg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say, like, if you guys haven't listened to them, uh, the, the band Manchester Orchestra is, has been one of my favorites for a while. Uh, they just dropped a, a new album last week, and um, from a lyrical standpoint, that, that dude, I think his name's Andy Andy Huff, I think is a lead singer, just just kills me every time he they come out with something new. Uh, lyrically, it's just, it's like poetry. Oh, Okay. Our buddy Joe is always telling us to listen to Manchester Orchestra, and I've never really given him like my my full attention yet. So you've just uh, you've just validated Joe Sorensen in Iowa right now. He's <laughs> he's got to be doing some fist bumps right now. So a new one is called like a, a million masks of God or something. Yeah, that, something like that. Yeah, it's it's super good. The one before that too, I, I haven't decided yet. I've been listening to the new one on on repeat for the past uh, several days, but the album they dropped before that. Um, I'm, what is it? A black mile from the surface is I think, uh, for, for, for my money, one of the best complete albums from start to finish. Like, you know, you guys have been in the, the scene for a long time. So, you, you know, kind of the, kind of the, the space we're in now where it's, it's very much instant gratification. Everybody's just putting out singles now and there's not a whole lot of like complete albums. It seems like anymore, uh, from start to finish. And this thing is just, it's cohesive. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, variants in it, but it, it all makes sense. It flows together really well. Lyrically, it's just incredible. Um, I think the last song on it, I think it's the last track. One of the last tracks called the silence is just one of the, one of my favorite songs ever. It's sad, but it's musically it's, it's big, it's beautiful. It's just, yeah, it's, it's something else. It, that album's phenomenal. I definitely will check that out. Um, I love albums that that are albums that tell a story that have a you know themes and 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 that are that are complete. That's something that we really wanted. That I, it was really important to me. I guess I would say for Under the Leaves, this record that we just put out. Like the songs, some of them make reference to other songs on the record or complete ideas that were little seeds that were planted earlier in the record will sort of sprout and grow as the record you know goes on. And uh, to me, that's just a rewarding experience. If you if you sit down and listen, and you kind of there's kind of a fun, cool factor of, of just listening and being like, "Whoa, I love this! This song is is dealing with making peace with the regret that like track number four talked about. <laughs> like he was, you know, track number four was all about I didn't have the chance because I didn't take the chance, and here we are at the end of the record, and it's like making peace with that somehow. Wow, I didn't expect that that would happen, you know. But I love that kind of. My internal storytelling. My favorite connection that you have on the record is actually Cameron references one of our very first songs that we ever did as a band, a song called Gardens in the Graves, um, which was an early favorite song of ours, probably our, our most, one of our most popular early songs, and uh, still a, a 
crowd favorite. And on our song "Morning Breaking," you want to say that he, say that verse, Cameron, that's on "Morning Breaking" that you um, kind of yeah. call back to that um, through the through the fields and through the forest. I think it's right before then. Um, let's see. I might have to just uh, <laughs> wide awake, the morning breaking, night. I'm shaking off. My eyes are wider than they've been in months. I dream the weight of my mistakes have fallen from my hands like scattered seeds behind me as I ran and all the tears I thought were wasted watered down below till a garden from the grave began to grow. Now through the field and through the forest onto unknown lands, I learned to love the traveler as I am. Yeah. I thought that was, that was really beautiful. And what's really neat is, to hear Cameron express that, like, I've heard him talk about that song and say, in a way, all this time he didn't know exactly what Gardens in the Graves, the old song of ours, was about. And it, it like, there was this, here, here, you know, 18 years after he wrote that song or 20 years after he wrote that song, whatever, uh, it's sort of, I guess we're talking long game again here. <laughs> right. Well, it was originally inspired by uh, my favorite band in high school was the the Gin Blossoms. They're also from Arizona. Yeah. They had Hey, hey Jealousy and Found Out About You and Allison Road Until I Hear It From You. And their, their principal songwriter was this guy named Doug Hopkins and uh, just really prolific. And, um, and he, he wrote the song that opened their, their big album. And it was like... Um, I drink enough of anything. What's it? He goes, the last horizons I can see are filled with bars and factories. And in them all, we fight to stay awake. So I drink enough of anything to make this world look new again. I'm drunk, drunk, drunk gardens. And the song is so catchy and beautiful and hauntingly upbeat in this really bittersweet way. Um, But there was just this sense of like the singer feeling really trapped. Like he looks around and all he sees are, are bars and factories and nothing good about this place. And he looks at his relationship and he can't see anything good about this place. So as he's like, I drink enough of anything to make this girl look new again, you know, I'm drunk, drunk, drunk in the gardens and the graves. And what's so difficult about that is that a couple of years after writing that he ended up taking his own life. So their oh. principal songwriter, the Jim Boston's principal songwriter, uh, killed himself um, right as they were, they were really, you know, rising to, to prominence. And it's just, I think that's stuck in my mind because uh, that's like, well, you kind of know escapism can only take you so far. Alcoholism can only take you so far. That was the natural end result of that. But there also, it was something in his seeing that was stuck. It was like, I can't make sense or find beauty in any of this. I mean, he, the, the beauty he found, I guess, was in the songs, the, the melodies that he wrote. There's a lot of, of gorgeous uh, melodies and harmonies happening in there, but it's that he couldn't find a way to make peace with those parts of the city that he was from or, the, or make peace with his family or make peace with the, the relationships. And that's like the thing I feel like that, um, you know, I, 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 I wrote those a long time ago for our cigars in the graves, kind of responding to that and being like, well, we need to learn to like go out of the world, have like be a different kind of person, a more hopeful person in the world. But I still didn't really know what that idea gardens in the graves meant until now. And that's what it means on this record on morning breaking is that we have to find a way to look at all the mistakes, all the good parts and see all of them as seeds that have been filling the soil and the very 
pain, the tears that we would do anything to avoid are the very thing that waters the soil, you know, and it ends up growing this garden behind us if we let it, you know. Um, it's sort of trying to find a way to see the beauty that comes out of all of these, all this pain, all these mistakes, everything that we would rather avoid. Oh, man. <clears throat> well, guys, I, I don't know that there's a better way to end it than on that note. So before I let you guys go, uh, tell folks where they can stay up on top of what you guys are up to, uh, get a copy of the new record, uh, and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, <clears throat> just ryanhood.com. The band is Ryan Hood. It's like Robin Hood, but Ryan Hood, one word. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, go on, you know, jump on there and get it from there. One thing that's actually really special about the new record is we made a companion book with it that is full of uh, expanded artwork, but also essays and stories uh, behind all of the songs. So, um, you know, if you like a podcast and like going deep, you would probably like to put on the record and go deep and, and read the, the stories and thoughts behind everything on it. So that's, that's probably one of my favorite uh, elements of this. So yeah, you can get that there. It'll link you to our, our band camp where you can get the music and you can stream it on Spotify or any of those places and find us, Find us on all the socials and on Patreon and all that stuff. Yeah. I just want to to add, if I could there too, John, like how much appreciation I have for what you and Adam started with this podcast and what you're carrying on. Because it, it strikes me that um, that you're doing this thing I think I heard first from Richard Rohr, which is like it's something like transcend and include, like question and grow, but... I always get the sense when I listen to this podcast that you're never shaming earlier thoughts. You're never sort of like disowning places that you've come from or, uh, or writers that were helpful to you when you were younger or sort of going, Oh, well that's the old thing. And you know, there's a sense in which you're, it it seems to me that you're including those ideas as you grow. And there's something that's really gentle and really grace filled about that. So I didn't want to, to end this podcast without telling you how grateful I am for what you got for the approach that you guys have to, to, to growing in all these ways, you know? Oh, thank you. It, that means a lot, uh, to have you say that because that, that was a very intentional approach when Adam and I first started and has continued to be an important, um, component of this podcast, especially as there's just, uh, there's a lot of new content out there, um, that, that fits into this kind of niche and, um, and I, I don't know that all of it's necessarily healthy from the respect that a lot of it comes from a place of anger and resentment from that sort of upbringing. And I think, you know, I think there's a way, like you said, I, I think Roar, if, if he's taught us anything, it's, you know, to, like you said, to transcend and include, and I think, uh, appreciate the roots and the, the structure that you received, uh, in your younger years and, and building off of that, as opposed to, you know, I guess taking cheap shots at it. I think that's easy to do and it's easy to stay in that place of anger and resentment, but uh, I don't know that you can stay there and I don't know that you should stay there. Um, And so I, I really appreciate uh, you saying that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well, thanks again, guys. Uh, Welcome. It it makes me think of it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, (laughs) no, no. The delay. Yeah. (laughs) no, 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 yeah, I know this is just this kind of odd audio lag. It, it, you don't even have to include this. Um, it just makes me think of that that desert island story that Peter Rollins tells. Yes, do you know that one? Yeah, like the that it just kind of that thing that you're like that you're like instead of always disowning the thing that came before, you just like it's all a part of of what got you here, what got you to be the person that you are now. You know? Yeah, a hundred percent, absolutely. Um, 
Oh, I love that. Yeah, Pete, Pete's, Pete's great. Uh, and and you, what you said earlier kind of made me think uh, of him when he talks about, um, you know, where we pay attention more to the symptoms, you know, than, than we do to the underlying, you know, root cause of what, what, what's causing those symptoms to manifest. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of good folks out there like, like Pete and like Roar and a lot of those other folks who are just doing, you know, Jacqueline Bussey, Diana Butler Bass doing really great work. Uh, while I think still maintaining this this uh, this level of humility and and grace for you know where we where we came from, yeah. Well, thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Uh, we're definitely gonna we'll, we'll feature some of your some of the songs that we talked about. Hopefully, if I do a a, a good enough job of editing, uh, it'll be kind of tucked in there uh, throughout the discussion. But. Uh, can't recommend enough. The, the new album is absolutely gorgeous. Um, great job uh, to the both of you from the, the the music to the production quality to the to the lyrics. Um, it, it's just a beautiful album uh, that I, th- I think people are going to enjoy. So go out and get it. Go support the guys. And uh, yeah, guys, thanks again for, for coming on. This is really fun. It was a pleasure, John. Thank you. Spinning faster, I heard you saying we're heading for disaster in the end. Feels like we're caving in. The world is changing, there might not be enough, and we're all afraid things are blowing up and someone is to blame. But you can name some names, lock them all away, and drive away the hate by hating. Try to smash that thing down. Try to stamp that thing out Try to grab it all and pound it down to a thousand pieces Don't be afraid Though the earth should give way Show me all your faith in all the ways you love The faces of the ones who disagree different really we do the same things we did for centuries and we get scared we point over there i think it's strange how we're never good at knowing the moment we change to be the same as what we fight against it's like self-defense so we try again we drive away the hate by hating try to smash that thing down Try to stamp that thing out Try to grab it all and pound it down into a thousand pieces Don't be afraid, though the earth should give way Just show me all your faith in all the ways you love The faces of the ones who disagree Take right, take left, take blue, take red, take heart, take head, take sharks.
take jets Take the comment section from the last election Take the things we write, take our misdirection Take the fear that makes us want to drive them out And act the same as what we're mad about Take the inquisition, think of prohibition Shock and awe against your real law Take crusades and hate and mobs and frenzy Screws and clicks the crucifixion Ethnic cleansing and it isn't only all about the pain and hurt Also that it never really seems to work Cause the heavier the hand that holds and squeezes The more you break the thing into a million pieces And every little spore is gonna grow again You can call that hell and you can call that sin But the only revolution is the one within Till we throw ourselves into the light We will never win the fight Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.